Australia's a nation of great beauty. It has over 500 national parks. It is a continent of exciting and exotic wildlife on land and in the sea. It's the home of lush forests, golden deserts, and breathtaking mountains. It offers an unparalleled outdoor lifestyle of camping, hiking, fishing, and water sports. The weather is relatively warm. It's a country that focuses on a balanced lifestyle. In fact, according to a recent study by the ILO, it has the shortest work week in the entire world. It has the 13th largest economy in the world and has the 12th highest average salary in the world, even though it's only 55th in population. A war hasn't been fought on Australian soil since the 18th century. It has some of the world's finest universities, some of the best health care in the world, and according to the UN, Australia is ranked the third for economic freedom, the third for human rights, and the first in legal rights. In fact, the UN ranks Australia as the seventh best country in the world to live in out of 195. Yet currently, eight out of ten Australians say they're unhappy. One out of five Australians between the ages of 15 and 85 suffered from a mental health issue last year. Interestingly, also last year, another one out of five Australians used illicit drugs. An Australian also has a one in four chance of having a serious struggle with gambling, drug or alcohol addiction at some point in their lives. This seems to be a global trend. In the United States, things aren't much better. A recent NBC poll says that only 14% of adults in the United States say they're very happy. In fact, NBC claims that Americans are the least happy they've been in 50 years. Perhaps because of that, the life coaching industry has exploded. Life coaching, according to the Coach Foundation website, is the second fastest growing industry in the world. With over 4.3 million coaches worldwide and turning over 2.4 billion U.S. globally. It's an industry that says that 99% of individuals and companies that work with them are happy with the experience they received. They also claim that 80% of their customers say that life coaching has improved their self-esteem and confidence. We have with us today Monica and Mark Sandercock, husband and wife, who own and run a business called Magnificent Mindset Coaching, which is actually rated by the Adelaide Review website as the number one coaching company in Adelaide. Monica and Mark, welcome again to the show. Hello. Thank you very much. Well, I, we're very happy you're here today. Um, if you can tell the audience, first of all, Monica, what a life coach is and what they do, because they might not know. No, very fair question. I think life coaching in general is about giving someone a choice and options, different options and ways of thinking that they perhaps didn't know they had access to before. Oh, wow. Okay. Mm -hmm. So a lot of times when people are passionate about something like you and Mark are, and we're letting you talk first because you're married so and you're the wife, so I figure <laughs> you're in charge. Okay? So um, you know, when they're passionate about something like you and your husband are, it's because they've had an experience in the past that has made them passionate about it. Is that the case with you guys? Yeah, absolutely. Um, can you tell me a little bit about that? 
we started off, I actually started our business 10 years ago to save our marriage. It was um, at breaking point. We had a young child. Um, we just had a young child and Mark had, we had the financial, global financial crisis as well. So financially things were really tight and um, Mark had lost the job opportunity and um, yeah, we had no money coming in and a little one and Mark also had, unbeknown to me, a, um, a drug addiction. He was a functional drug addict since many, many years. So things weren't looking great. Wow. And so you started a business. I was looking for ways to help myself first to, uh -huh. to cope and also for us to just find ways, ways of thinking, uh, ways of helping our relationship, helping myself and helping us. So coaching was one of the things that came up. Um, I had tried a few other things, but this was really something that I just went, wow, is that possible? You can really think like that. You can really change your way of thinking and experience something different. So that's how it started. So how long had you had this coaching business before you found out Mark had a drug problem? Uh, about a year. Okay. Yeah. And then how did that whole conversation go? How would you find out you found some drugs in this sock drawer? Or I could have. How would that whole thing play out? I think I'll let Mark answer that question. Okay. Yeah, sure. How did it play out? Well, it's something I've been struggling with for definitely the last 12 months of my addiction where I, I, I was not liking what I was doing and who I was. So I'd been using marijuana and meth for several years, but marijuana I'd used for many years since I was like a teenager, my late teens. It, um, but later on in life, was in corporate world, uh, started using meth. And it wasn't just for the weekends. I was starting to use it during the week. And... It got to the stage where the busier I got, and especially when I had uh, my own business, the busier I got, the more meth I started to take. And uh, it got to the stage where I wasn't enjoying my morning walks in regards I'd be saying to myself, no meth today, no meth today. And I knew that suicide was not something I wanted to do because I've got a family, I've got a wife, I've got a loving family. And so I just had this demon within me of saying, well, how do I stop this? Because I didn't really know how. And uh, Monica, unbeknownst to her, she gifted me a ticket to go see a Tony Robbins event. Mm. And it was the Unleashed Power Within where you get to walk on the hot coals. And I was like, yes, this is my time. This is my time to actually get rid of this addiction. Monica had no idea. Mm. that I was excited about getting rid of this monkey off my back, so to speak. So she didn't know you were a drug addict at all, had no guesses, no? She she knew I'd used marijuana, would uh -huh. use meth. She thought I'd given up. Um, I, I I was really good at keeping it hidden. Wow. You know, I was a functional drug addict. So I was flying around the nation holding meetings with people, executives, directors. Mm -hmm. They had no idea. Mm. And uh, so Monica had no idea. I was I was great at concealing it. Because you know, I, I dressed well, loving father, uh -huh. loving husband, but I had this secret. Uh -huh. So went to the event, walked on the hot coals, and I rang Monica that night and said, hey, love, I've had a great day. It's been great. I want you to go to the back shed. 
So I thought, okay. I said, I want you to grab the marijuana that's there, pipe, grab it and throw it out. So I thought, okay, this is different because I've never really said that before mm-hmm. because Monica tried all sorts of things to get me to give up. And unless the person, being me at the time, mm-hmm. is willing to give up uh, and has a massive reason or massive why, it's pretty hard for someone to give up mm-hmm. or to heal parts of ourselves. So I was like, yep, I've told her that. I still hadn't told her about the meth, which was my little, that little anchor that I'd had you know, for years. So I came home from that event and I said, I love, I've uh, a great time, it's a good event, it was awesome, I've got something to tell you. She's like, yeah, okay. I said, I'm a drug addict, I've been using meth. And it was scary, it was really scary for me to actually even share that with her. Because I didn't know whether she was going to say, get out of here, how much money have you spent, how long you've been doing it, you know, as if I'd deceited her or lied to her, which I had. Mm-hmm. She hugged me though, hugged me and said, thank you. And we cried, we cried together and because I was like, oh, thank you for being there for me. Thank you for just allowing me to share that. Because people with addictions, it's, it's, we, we just want to be loved and accepted for what we're experiencing. But when we're keeping that hidden, it's really hard to change that. So me sharing that and Monica responding in the way in which she did was really the catalyst for us to move forward even more, but also for, or for our business. Because at that stage, I had been studying the coaching, but hadn't actually participated in, you know, actually started seeing clients. So that's pretty much how it started in well, regards to our business. Wow, I, I mean, I heard what you say, but can you can you help me out a little bit more on what was going through your head? Why did you decide to tell Monica rather than just kind of fix it all on your own? Uh, it's pretty hard to be carrying something like that around. It gets pretty heavy, mm-hmm. and that carrying that around is really painful. And it's it's like it's a disease slowly burning away on the inside, and it, that causes so much ache. And I suppose that's what I experienced in my morning walks because I knew I wanted to change. I, I had to tell someone and yet my intimate partner, my wife, was my friend mm. and I had to share that with somebody to get that off my back. So to be able to do that um, was like a massive relief. It's like It's like someone just, that warm hug from the inside and Monica provided that externally for me. To share is the most important part, and it's scary. You know, I didn't want to tell anyone um, because it, it, there's a lot of shame, there's a lot of guilt, mm. there's a lot of stuff that goes with that. And to have the courage and to have someone next to me to allow me to share that is massive, mm. absolutely massive. Wow. Yeah, that's like that, um, what's it called, the, the ratopia. It's not called ratopia, but you know that study that they – yeah. With the rats, where they found that if you Fun put park, it, but it, yeah, yeah, if you put them yep. in the park with other 
mice that support them and they can play with and spend time with and then they don't become addicts but if you just leave them in the cage on their own they're in a world of pain and they do become an addict just like that absolutely yeah wow not to say that you're a rat (laughs) no i like that analogy it's perfect but i i mean i'm just so so how did you like you didn't in your mind, Monica, you didn't go, this guy's been lying to me all this time. How could he hide that? You didn't have any of those thoughts. None at all at that point. I was just purely relieved and going, wow, that makes sense. Um, now we can actually move forward and, and get some help for Mark. Purely because I had studied coaching. I had done work on myself. I'd worked with coaches for myself so I understood the concept, I understood the thinking, I understood what had potentially led him to to, to go that, down that path. So if I wouldn't have done that, I would have gone, I would have said exactly what Mark was fearing I would. Mm. Any Anyone would that normally that doesn't have this kind of awareness. Well, it's such an enlightened view. You are really lucky. Oh, good. Great. I mean, you, so it sounded like you were happy. You were like, great. Now I know what I can. Now I know I have a problem I can fix. Yeah. And every, everything can yeah. be happily ever after. Yeah. Before I just knew something was wrong and I couldn't do anything. Now I can do something. Yeah. So that's, that's awesome. Well, pretty it, much now. You know, that, you yeah. know? Yeah. Yeah. It's like that missing puzzle, that uh-huh. piece of the puzzle. That, you know, I know this happening. There's just something quite, just missing. And it's like that missing piece of the puzzle just coming in to complete the picture. And the picture's not perfect. However, we still need still needs work, but the piece is there. All right. Well, we're going to be back with Monica and Mark Sandercock and uh, talk about all that they've learned and how you can apply it uh, right after these messages. We're back with Mark and Monica Sandercock. And in the last session, we talked about how you got started in in the coaching industry, and that was that was awesome. I, I want to talk a little bit about in the opening. I discussed how eight out of ten Australians say they're unhappy right now. Mm. Mark, why do you think that is? I think a lot of it, and especially with uh, the clients that I serve, and uh, I'll speak for my clients, not Monica's. A lot of people have forgotten how to experience joy, because quite often we get caught up with business, work, career, family the day-to-day things, we forget about the things that actually bring us joy. Mm. And quite often, it's just the small things. When Mm. we can walk outside and actually look up and say, wow, there's the sun, or touch the grass. Or maybe it's actually the small things of making your morning coffee and sitting down and going, mindfully drinking your coffee, Mm. where you're actually taking your time and experiencing the small things that bring you joy. Because quite often, we're after the material things. We're after the big things. Mm. The bigger home, the nice car, the nice clothes, whatever it might be. But when we actually bring it back to just the small things, maybe it's spending time with a loved one. Maybe it's spending time reading a book just mm-hmm. by yourself. So I believe that too many of us get caught up in the day-to-day things and forget about what is it that brings us joy. Mm. What do you think, Monica? I think all of that and even more bringing back things that used to bring us joy. So we often forget, like Mark said, we get caught up in, you know, adulting, the mortgages, the kids, family, bills, whatever. Um, And we forget that 
that those moments when we were the happiest in our life, usually, um, even if it was a fleeting moment, when we were doing a hobby, when we were hanging with our friends, when life wasn't so serious, if we can bring that back in a way that works today, even if it's just in small portions, um, and making the time for it, not saying, hey, I don't have time, that will never work, I don't have money. What is achievable though? Because mm -hmm. otherwise, if you do the same thing over and over again, you're going to get the same result. Life isn't just going to come and knock on your door and say, hey, I'll bring you some happiness. Mm. It's our responsibility to actually create it. And mm. it may not happen overnight, but we have to actively work towards creating what lights us up. I think that's a really keen insight I'd like to underline, if you don't mind, because I think a lot of people try to get their happiness from others, people, or other things, for lack of a better term, yeah. that technical term, things. Yeah, totally. Okay? But, uh, and, and it has to come from within. If you're going to put your faith and expect somebody else to make you happy, you're going to be disappointed because they're people. I mean, yeah. they're going to have good days and bad days. Yeah. yeah. So, I don't know. I mean, that goes against, flies against the whole concept of romantic love that we've been no, sold on television. Yeah, and I, I totally agree. And that's what we work on a lot in when we work with couples or even individuals, if it's around any form of relationship challenges, that what are you doing for yourself mm -hmm. outside of the relationship for you mm. that will bring you joy so that when you come and spend time with your partner, it's not about... What is he or she going to do for me? Mm. How are they going to make me happy? What are you doing for yourself? Mm -hmm. How do you bring that to your like, excitement, variety, adventure, fun? How do you create that so that when stuff happens in life, work, relationship, kids, you are more resilient because you already filled your cup up. Mm. It's not just that straw that broke the camel's back when your partner is having a bad day or there's a challenge at work or your child is screaming. It's like, no, no, I am full already. I can deal with this much better. Actually, that's kind of, I'm a business coach consultant. I have a certification in life coaching. I'm not uh, the best coach in Adelaide like the Sandra Cox are. But uh, I, um, it's, that's one of the things I talk to the people that I coach for for business because I, I tell them that they've got to have something outside the business. I mean, they've got to be balanced, of course, with family and and spiritual and everything. But, but I also say just find something that you're good at outside the business. So when the business is going badly and go, yeah, but I'm a black belt in karate and I can get that guy's butt or, yeah, but I shot this at the golf course or I had a 270 bowling game. or So because that really – and it's the same thing in a relationship. If you've got other things outside the relationship that are making you feel good, you're adding to that relationship instead of – if things are going rough instead of just expecting to take and take and take. Well said. I mean, is that, I love that. Uh, is that what you, okay. Yeah. I was just trying to make sure I understood what you were saying there. Yeah. You're doing perfect. You, you wanted to add something, Mark? Well, I was just about to say, we cannot expect to have all our needs fulfilled in a relationship because we have many needs and mm. we need to have them met resourcefully and sustainably outside of the relationship and I'm meaning human needs I'm not meaning uh, you know intimacy and those sorts of things so we definitely have to look you know outside our relationship will give us uh, fulfilling needs absolutely but we also need to act and think for ourselves what else is it that I need that's going to fill me up 
Mm. So it's so important. Well, and as, actually, as I was listening to you talk, if you actually love the person or even like them, <laughs> you know, to put all that pressure on them to go, you oh. need to make me happy oh. is kind of a, really unfair. Absolutely. I mean, it's kind we of a hose job. If you think about it, you're really hosing the person that you're saying you love and care about. Yeah, yeah. It's not, it's not uh, Monica's job to make me happy. Mm. She makes me happy. So it's not her job that it made me happy. It's my responsibility. Mm. And as humans, we need to take responsibility for that. Mm. Absolutely. Well, if I was in church, I'd say amen, brother. Amen. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, that's good stuff. So, Monica, your, your company's name is Magnificent yeah. Mindset Coaching. What is different about Magnificent Mindset Coaching versus normal life coaching? What's the, what's the difference? I suppose mindset coaching, it all comes under the same umbrella as well as relationship coaching Mm because it's all about relationship with self. Mm -hmm. So even if I was to coach, we coach a couple, um, we coach them individually first for, you know, up to nine sessions to resolve whatever's going on for them so that we can then bring them together as a couple, just like I would... Or Mark would if we work with some individually. It's all about their own relationship to self. And that's like any any coaching. I can't remember who told me this, but it's probably been thir- it's been thirty years ago or twenty five or something, I don't know, but I heard somewhere they said, you know, if you want to be loved, first you gotta be lovable. Mm. So the key is make yourself the kind of person you wanna be with. Totally. Um, and is that what you're kind of saying there when you're talking about focusing yeah, on each of them separately? Absolutely. You know, has anyone else going to be able to even enjoy spending time or put up with you mm. um, if you don't like yourself? Uh, okay. That, I know it's a cliche. You know, you got to love yourself, but it, there's a lot of stepping stones to that. You know, okay. we break it down so it's not so overwhelming. Okay. Well, we're going to take a quick break here to pay some bills, and then we're going to be back. And Monica and Mark are going to dig into the things that they do with clients to help them in their relationships. You're listening to Change the World with Matt McQuinley on Radio Italia Uno, 87.6 FM. We're back with Mark and Monica Sandercock of Magnificent Mindset Coaching. Uh, life and relationship coaches. I'm sure that people that have been listening want to know how they can contact you to learn more. Uh, how can they do that? Absolutely. They can get in contact with us through our website, uh, www.magnificentmindset.com.au. Or alternatively, they can hit us up through Facebook uh, on our business page, Magnificent Mindset uh, Relationship and Empowerment Coaching, I think it says. All right, great. So I'm a little bit, intri- I'm well, more than a little bit intrigued by uh, the relationship coaching itself. I mean, what's the difference between relationship coaching and like counseling, relationship counseling? Can you tell us the differences there? That's a great question. And we get that question a lot. A lot of people wonder. Um, counseling tends to be, well, first of all, we always say to people that we are not rela- relationship counselors you can't expect to come and sit on the couch and that we're going to mediate. That uh, probably is the biggest difference. Um, Counselling tends to spend a lot of time on the issue itself 
And with coaching, we move forward quite quickly and find solutions rather than what's actually going wrong, what is right, what's working, and then help to build on that. All right. So you're not trying to figure out how did it go wrong? How did this happen? How did that happen? What are you feeling? No. You're just saying, okay, what do we do to fix this? Yeah. yeah, and what do they what do they actually want to experience rather than spend too much time on, like what you said there, Matt, what's not working? Because it easily gets you into a pretty negative mindset and feeling when you spend time in that space rather than what, what is actually working and what do you love about your partner. And then we can build on that and help with strategies and tools on how to make that even more fulfilling mm-hmm. as well as you know, working on them individually so that they can overcome stuff that was their way before they even met their partner. It's not their partner that's making them feel a certain way. It's stuff that their partner is triggering within them from often childhood hmm. that we are unaware of. Well, I can see how that's a lot more motivating and would have a lot uh, – people would be a lot more excited about being involved in that process than the, tell me what, why I am no good today. Yeah, we well, usually <laughs> find that for sure. <laughs> that's, okay, that's what you hate about me. Now let me tell you what I hate about you. I know, right. I can see, I can see how the, focusing on the positives and trying to build on those would be uh, something people would be more excited to go to and yeah. make less excuses to get out of. Correct. It's something about being outcome focused, mm. uh, and uh, especially when we talk to clients about well, we need to work on ourselves first here, and we resolve that stuff, we can really move forward. Mm. So, what are the big challenges you see with couples today? I'd like to start off with this one. The biggest challenge is I know most people would have heard about you know communicate. You've got to communicate, which absolutely you've got to communicate. It's about being able to sit in those tough, hard, difficult conversations because most couples actually avoid those difficult conversations Mm. because maybe someone is going to storm off or they're going to blame, they're going to justify, they're going to throw it back onto their partner. But when you can sit in those situations, those conversations, not take it personally and listen and hear each other out, that's where we can really create some change. So definitely it's being able to sit in those tough, hard conversations. Well, that's exceptionally difficult. I mean, it's pretty hard to find people that are like that and willing to do that, much less two of them together that are willing to do that. How do you – that's not something that's going to come naturally to people. I was just going to add that, Matt, that uh, (laughs) it's also about helping them to do that. That's the biggest part of it too. And that's where we work with them individually. So all the triggers, the things that will make them go, but you said, and you always do these, you never, et cetera, et cetera. Um, they don't get as triggered when they have those conversations too. And, and really we hold them, we hold their hand through the process metaphorically throughout the whole way. So um, we, we give them some, we help them with scenarios in this situation how about you do this? In that situation, you can say these things or these things and try these things because there's things that we worked with for many, many years and many, many couples. So, And also, like Mark said, having those conversations is not something we were able to do. We used to do exactly that, just run off, um, push it under the carpet, blame each other. So we had to learn how to do that first. We were not good at that at all. Mm. So when we can help others 
and teach them the stuff that we've learned ourselves so that they can then model that. And, and quite often we get comments like, ooh, that worked. I did this with my wife and she loved it. Oh. Or she didn't have a go at me or I, I told my husband this and he actually did it or, you know, he understood or he listened and I feel heard. That's the sort of cool feedback that we love. Wow. Well, how, how did you get to a point where you could do that personally? Same thing. We mm -hmm. have coaches too. Oh, okay. You know, we can't solve the problems that our own kind of heads created. So we're a big advocate for having that assistance ourselves. And we've had many coaches, mm. business coaches, as well as personal coaches and mentors mm. so that we can constantly grow and learn and we evolve and also then share that with, with our clients. We've got to be a step ahead all the time. Yeah, a lot of uh, trial and error. Mm. We had to step into the arena and do it for ourselves. And it is uncomfortable to sit in that space and maybe be told or be informed of what's not working, whether it be with intimacy or within the relationship, to sit there as a, a, a man, I'll do this as a male's perspective, is pretty tough. So instead of walking away or blaming, sit there and go, okay, what do I do, need to do to improve it? So instead of going into blaming or shutting it down, what do I need to do to take it to the next level? And that is vulnerability at its, at its peak to be able to sit there and say, well, what do I need to do then? Because you've got to swallow your pride and you've just got to go, what, what do I need to do? How can I make this better? And it is tough. So, yeah, trial and error. Hmm. I was reading recently that uh, relationship counseling, and, and this is coaching, not counseling, okay? I understand. But that that has a greater stigma attached to it than personal counseling. Like people feel like bigger failures go into a relationship counselor than they do for somebody that says, oh, I want to kill myself or, oh, I've got a drug problem or, oh, I'm depressed. That there's more of a stigma attached to that than those other personal counseling issues. Why do you think that is and how do you overcome that with your clients? I'm not surprised at all, actually, Matt, for those statistics. I think it's relationship is the hardest thing to deal with they say because that's the only thing we can't control. So we can control our income, we can control our weight, um, where we and our finances and business, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. It may not always be healthy or resourceful, but we can. Mm -hmm. Relationship, we can't. Mm -hmm. We and can we can control and manipulative in a very unhealthy way, but it's it's not something that works. It only works to a certain degree. So when someone has relationship challenges, it's shameful. Mm. Mm -hmm. that's what I was thinking because you've, you've got your the family values mm -hmm. you've got the beliefs and a lot, a lot of these values and beliefs maybe not even be ours they're probably passed down from our parents our grandparents it could be the family traditions it could be cultural as well yep. so a lot of people you know there's that as Monica mentioned the shame there's seeking assistance from my relationship yep. a lot of the people will stay in a negative or a poor relationship just because I don't want to be the one seen as leaving. Mm -hmm. Well, there's kids involved. So I don't want to be the one who's left and mm -hmm. be named or have that, uh, uh, that identity of that. And we know that's not how it is in regards to when people do leave. They're doing it for other reasons. But there's so much in that with families 
um, and cultural uh, values, beliefs. Mm. Well, coming to that point, how do you know when it it is time for the person to throw in the towel? Well, we always say to all of our clients, with the relationship clients, uh, is there still love in the relationship? Do you still love the person? And we're not meaning as a friend or because you've been with them for 30 or 40 years or you're, you're school heart sweethearts. We mean, is there love there? Because if there's love there, there's still opportunity, there's still a chance. Mm-hmm. And we ask that question straight up. Hmm. And then we give them three months to start with. If you for three months, 90 days, give everything that you've got to turn your relationship around and after that if both of you are committing and it's still not working then at least you can say you've tried everything that you could and we recently worked with a couple they were about to um, sign divorce papers and this was their last resort and it was very unhealthy with children involved and gone on for a long time and they ended up renewing their vows Mm -hmm. So it's it's possible when you don't even think it is, mm. if you know how. How do you decide if you love somebody? I think it's a choice that you make. That's a whole other issue. Well, in that time, you do have time when you're working on strategies and, you know, um, how do you feel when you love someone? We go through mm. and help people with attraction. How do I feel attracted? What makes me feel attracted? How do I, what, what do I experience when I feel love? So teach them that so they can express that with each other. Mm. It's a great question, though. Going back to what we were talking about before, when the fire is pretty much out, how do you get it going again? I'm sure you see people that have been together for what you would say in Australia, yonks, and they feel like they're roommates, they're not in a relationship. What do you do in that case? First of all, we start off with uh, what is that person doing individually for themselves to bring some happiness and joy into their life? Yeah, And as Monica mentioned before, are they doing these hobbies that they maybe haven't done for many years? What is it that's sparking them up? So we start there. And then from there, once we get uh, resolve and implement new strategies and tips for the individual, we then run strategies for the couple. And it will be things like, what did you feel, see or hear when you first met your partner? What were you attracted to? What were you attracted to? To bring them back into that state or what was, how did he or she stand? What did Mm. they look like? What was their body language? What were you thinking? What were you feeling when you met to to teach them that? And what were some things that you really loved about them then that they did? And just start to really trigger their, their memory of Mm -hmm. rather than what's what's wrong what's not working like we talked before what were those things and often they can't help but having a little giggle a smile even if it's Mm -hmm. you know um pretty gloomy at at that point Mm -hmm. but then we work on those things making sure we bring that back making sure they're not just doing things individually but also some things together new things learning new hobbies together not when one person can teach the other golf. Mm-hmm. You know, someone's really good at something and teaching the other. It has to be something they're both clunky at, laughing at, seeing each other in that light where they go, oh, that's a bit cute. Mm-hmm. Or I really think that's really sexy when you do this. Or I love, I haven't seen that side in you for so long. So they can start playing, having mm-hmm. fun, laughing, being, you know, adventurous. And when they start to feel that, we can build because they get a bit of a, a taste for 
what they're experiencing that I haven't felt for a really, really long time. Hmm. I've got a question out of left field for you. Do you ever see couples that have arranged marriages? Yes. Okay. I personally often get um, inquiries from women from all different cultures. Mm-hmm. So it could be from India or China or um, Africa or um, like Persian countries. So I do deal with a lot of different cultures, beliefs, religions, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. So it's really no different. Okay, because I mean they don't love each other because they were just showed up on the wedding day or a week before or whatever it was. Mm. So how do you help those people have a loving, fulfilled, fulfilling relationship? I mean, can you or? Well, it comes down to the same thing. We are all humans and we ask the same question. Is there still love in the relationship? But I mean, do there wasn't love in the beginning. So, Well, if they're still together and they still want to be together, uh-huh. that is not something we can decide for them. So mm-hmm. if they turn up or even if one person, which is often the case, in that situation, the woman turns up and and wants to change the situation. Get out of it or get it, improve it? Uh, it could Is be she, both. Okay. Well, if it's getting out of it, it's building up the confidence. Okay. And building, building, you know, I can't guarantee that they stay, stay together, but that I can guarantee that you feel more confident and comfortable moving forward. Mm-hmm. And we say that to mm. all couples, okay. regardless of the situation. So to build up that confidence, that self-trust and belief so that they can stand up and, and make decisions that, you know, in the, in the longer term. So if they come to you and say, hey, we weren't in love, we were never in love, but I like this person. Can you help me turn it into something more? Because we were just put together and we have children. Do you work with people like that? Or what do you say to somebody like that? If I, just jump I mean, this is way off the way no, off the beaten path, right. but, I, but right. it's just something that made me think about how would that work in practice for, for other cultures. Yeah, if they weren't in love, it would be about asking where are you at now? Mm-hmm. Where are you at now? What is it you want? Yeah. What is it you want from this? Mm-hmm. And you're both committed. And we just start with that. So okay. definitely anything is possible. Um, it's just about asking, where are you now? What are you after? And okay. what would you like to experience? And yeah. what would that look like? And then we would have to work out together a plan to – we can't, again, guarantee anything. But if we worked on that for 90 days mm-hmm. together, then they see where they're at in the end and they can make a decision. I guess I'm kind of asking it a little bit like, you know how the monkeys were a band. They just said, hey, we can make his famous band. We just And they just were arbitrarily grabbed guys and said, hey, you're a band. We're going to make you famous. Mm. I mean, can you kind of do that with people if they're in that situation and they like each other or care about each other? I mean, it's, it's kind of what I was saying, which is de- very different from what you're normally doing. But I was just curious. Yeah, it comes we- down to that commitment. And we don't have a magic wand at no, the end of no, the day. No, of course not. No. So if that if they're not into each other and there was never love there and they still want to stay together, then I'd ask the question, well, is that what you guys want? Mm-hmm. That's probably not where we would spend our time and probably wouldn't be a good match for us, if that okay. makes sense. Right. We don't work with everyone. It has mm-hmm. to be an intense commitment mm-hmm. to be willing to do whatever it takes to crawl through the mud metaphorically to get the outcome that they want. And if they're both not there, then we would only work with the person that is. So it's kind of like the old joke, like how many psychiatrists does it take to change a light bulb? Do you know that joke? No. 
uh, one, but the light bulb really wants to change. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah. totally. Great metaphor, great title. Yeah, 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 absolutely. Yeah. All right, well, I'll we're going <laughs> to be back uh, just a little bit to wrap things up with Monica and Mark Sandercock. You're listening to Change the World with Matt McQuinley on Radio Italia Uno, 87.6 FM. We're back with Monica and Mark Sandercock, and in the just a couple minutes we have left here, uh, Mark, can you tell us what is the one key thing that you want the audience to carry away from our time together? My key thing is for an individual, as a human, go find something fun, happy, something that makes you happy and brings some joy back into your life with, with whatever that may be. All right. And because you're the best, you're also the last. Monica, if you could tell us what your one, your biggest key that you want uh, the audience to carry away from our time together. Well, something that I love and I learned so much from when I started this is to always be curious. Never take anything for granted um, and think that it's set in stone, but be really curious about what's going on for you, what's going on for other people, and... Um, to, to really bring uh, less judgment to anything that you do and say. Well, you definitely are qualified to say that when your husband says, yeah, I'm a meth addict. You say, oh, that's great. I love you. So, <laughs> I do love so at least, much. at least you're practicing what you preach. So that's awesome. Oh, thank you. <laughs> and again, I, I want to congratulate Mark on having the most understanding wife in the Southern Hemisphere. So well done. Uh, thank you. I'm, I'm, I'm so fortunate and very appreciative and grateful and uh, very fortunate. Absolutely. And, and, and you're also pointing out right now that it always does pay to suck up to the boss. Keep up the great work, Mark. <laughs> thank you. <laughs> okay. No, seriously, I, I just want to thank both of you for being here today. It's been great. I wish we had more time, but they only give us an hour. Uh, and uh, I want to thank uh, the listeners most of all for listening today. And as always, I want to remind you to listen to us next Monday at 6 p.m. for Change the World with Matt McQuinley. And I want to leave you with a brief inspirational story, as I always do. This young girl was born to poverty. A sickness caused her to lose nearly all of her sight by age five. At age eight, her mother died of TB and her father left his three children all alone. She and her brother were sent to a poorhouse. Four months later, her brother died of TB as well. She had three more failed eye operations. The poorhouse that she was in had so many reports of cruelty, sexual abuse, and even cannibalism that an investigation was launched. It was led by the man who founded the Perkins School for the Blind. On one of his visits, she leaped in front of him and begged him to let her go to school at his school there. He let her in. She didn't fit in, though. She was rough, uneducated, and poor, not like the other people who'd been sent there by their well-to-do parents. Regardless, she graduated valedictorian. She learned finger speaking and had more eye operations to improve her vision. Upon graduation, she was thrust out into the world with no support network, no money, the obvious disadvantages we've already talked about. But the headmaster luckily found her a job in the Deep South for a family that until recently had owned slaves. 
As a poor northerner from Massachusetts, she obviously didn't fit in well there either. But she became a tutor for their seven-year-old girl who had lost her sight and hearing at 19 months of age. The child was undisciplined and had no way to communicate with the outside world. She used all her cutting-edge training to try to teach the child. But after months of effort, there was no progress at all in communicating with the child. So she threw all of her fancy education out the window and focused on trying to make a connection with the child, partly by making the child completely reliant upon her. Eventually, a breakthrough. Later, the child, Helen Keller, became the first deaf-blind person to receive a bachelor's degree. At 22, Helen Keller wrote her autobiography. 140 years later, it's still in print in over 50 languages. She wrote 13 more books and also founded the HKI School for the Blind, which combats blindness in 22 countries. Helen co-founded the ACLU and was an early backer of the NAACP. Helen and her teacher Ann Sullivan were involved in women's suffrage, labor rights, disability rights, and promoted world peace. Helen was awarded the highest civilian honors available in Brazil, the Philippines, Japan, Lebanon, and the United States of America. She was nominated multiple times for the Nobel Prize. Many universities, including Harvard, gave them both honorary degrees. They befriended presidents, First ladies like Eleanor Roosevelt, actors like Charlie Chaplin, and authors like Mark Twain, who called Ann Sullivan the miracle worker. What do they teach us? Well, one thing is that it doesn't matter where you start out. It's where you end up that matters. Would anyone truly believe or think that Ann Sullivan, a poor, blind orphan girl, would go on to directly and indirectly inspire millions as well as help millions more through her activism? Would anybody really believe that decades before women could even vote, a deaf and blind seven-year-old girl named Helen, who could not behave or even communicate, would later be found to have the exact same IQ as Albert Einstein? We also learned to ask for what we want without fear, what if Anne, as a young child, hadn't begged to be educated? Both she and Helen Keller would lie in obscure graves, and all their contributions would have been lost to history. We are also reminded that one person can make a big difference in somebody else's life, and that person can go on to make a big difference in other lives. Finally, we are reminded that there are two kinds of people in the world, one who will give up on themselves and others, and then there's the kind of person who will believe in themselves and others, who will try even if they and others think all is lost, and who will not give up on what they think is best for themselves and for their fellow man. The real question is, as always, which one are you?